Hello and welcome Friartown. Today is January 30th, and today, Kevin and I are going to break down the Georgetown game. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 41 of the Friar Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Billy Ritchie, joined by the great Kevin Farhar of FriarBasketball.com. And today, what else would we be doing but recapping the Providence-Georgetown game? We're also going to talk about the upcoming UConn game, too, though, coming up on Wednesday. And we're going to even potentially get over to the Villanova game. I want to talk about the Villanova game because, uh, you know, falls in the same calendar week. But before we get to Sunday, we have to talk about last Saturday. Man, what a game for the ages. I mean, there was video surfacing all around that you know, students were out there eight in the morning waiting for the doors to open at the Amica Mutual Pavilion. Unfortunately, I think there were some, some incidents as kids were trying to get in, hope everybody's okay. But for the most part, I thought the fans and the students were absolutely incredible. I posted about it on both X and Instagram. And really what ensued during the game was kind of exactly the opposite of what I thought was actually going to happen from the last pot of. I thought Georgetown would kind of just roll over when things got tough at the Amica Mutual Pavilion. But to their credit, they did hang in. But man, we were on a mission. And, and you could tell even towards the late second half, when it was getting close and it seemed like Georgetown was going to hang it until the end that Devin Carter and some of the other veterans like Joshua Duro and Ticket Gaines, they just had it in their eye that they weren't going to let this one slip away. Like that no matter how much time was left that they were going to hold the lead. And obviously Devin Carter made a statement three times in the air with two alley-oops and then that windmill dunk to close. Absolutely just incredible game for the ages. I was in the tunnel uh, when Cooley came out to start, that was just a wild experience. I think some of the reporters were even too far out onto the court as the guys were trying to warm up. But overall, just want to just give a huge shout out to the fans and the students for bringing it. They were amazing. Want to give a huge shout out to, you know, Coach English and the staff for attacking it the right way and keeping the guys engaged. And want to give a shout out to our all-American type player, do I say, and Devin Carter of just of just being that guy. Kev, what do you have to say to kick off our Georgetown review? Yeah, I'm not sure. But where do you want to start? There's so much to break down. What direction do you I, want to go? I think let's let's do this. So let's start off with pregame. What did you think about the vibes pregame? Were you nervous? I don't even have to ask this. You were nervous. Yeah, I was, <laughs> of coming out. Right. I mean, we... <laughs> Part of the reason why we do this podcast is because we love not just the basketball program, but Providence College as well. So there's all these feelings of like, I came into it, but honestly, I said to my friends, I had some friends come into town for the game. And I was like, am I even going to have fun at this game? I feel like I'm going to be so nervous that they could lose and some craziness is going to happen in the crowd. That um, And I, that went away quickly. Um, and the crowd was great. I think it's been talked about now. but. Um, they were all over them. It was loud. If you weren't there, the Fox 
telecast did not do it justice. It was so loud. And there was kind of a weird scene with Cooley making the rounds around the whole court before the game. And I was looking forward to watching that in the replay. And they didn't show it at all. There was just a bunch there that if you weren't in the building, you didn't see. But I was trying to think when I was there um, of, and this was unlike any situation ever, but I, there were a couple of things I thought. One of like just pure, like, the crowd reaction before the game. I I feel like when PC played Xavier that year, when Chris Dunn was here, they're both top 10. I felt like that crowd was ready to absolutely explode. Um, and then in 04, the Texas game, the Pittsburgh game, just uh, the fever pitch before those games. So crazy. Um, and Bill, the thing I, in their different scenarios, but the only thing I could think about from a individual coming back that I've been to in person myself was, when Roger Clemens left the Sox and came back with the Blue Jays and just the vitriol there, I was like, it, it might be similar, but it was completely unique. Um, I, I was, I thought Kulu would just try to, you know, be kind of low key. And he comes out and he just beelines for the Providence bench. I'm not sure where he's going. He goes and hugs people under the basket. He's kind of like looking for familiar faces in the crowd and peeking around and seeing who he knows and who he can smile at and wave to. Then he came around the other end and he's, you know, giving hugs and all. it was, it was quite a scene. And it was, I felt like he was not doing a great job of putting on a front, but um, yeah, I mean, the crowd was awesome throughout the entire game. I thought the crowd was, was great. Um, and obviously the, the booze you could hear on TV, you could hear on Twitter were, were deafening when he was announced. I don't think you could even hear Frank Carpano at that point, but um, yeah. the, the pregame was, and I honestly felt like the students must have been tired. Like they, a lot of them got in there. They had been sitting there for three or four hours. So even with like 10 minutes to go before the game, I feel like they were kind of like recharging a little bit. Um, but as usual, they brought it. It was a great scene. Yeah. I mean, when Cooley came out of the tunnel, there was a bunch of us there and he did look like almost like empty, right? Like he was just trying to get through that moment. And then, he went to dap up Jamel Thomas, prior great Jamel Thomas, who we've had on the show here. And and Jamel was just like, oh, man, he's coming to me. <laughs> that was <laughs> like, Jamel Thomas' spot. It, it, it didn't look that great. Um, no, no. It was the most enthusiastic embrace. Yeah. But, no, I mean, you can clearly tell that it was a deer in a headlights type moment for him. I was like, you know, I was on the press row behind the basket, and you could just see people getting up, you know, throwing him the finger, and it's just – I think he was he 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 had probably thought about it one way and then it was actually happening and it was like oh my god I'm actually in this moment and uh yeah I mean absolutely loved everything about the start of the game you know the intros the 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 crowd the chance like we just we just really just got into it right off the bat and you know from the tip I will say though Georgetown looked like they were ready to meet the quote-unquote emotional part of the game like straight up again we know basketball wise they're a step behind but I got to give them some sort of credit that they came out with some sort of energy to play with um but I really think the reason that we we were down a little bit at, at, at the starter like we kept it like when a, in a close game was it was it really came down to rebound we always were shooting better from the field it just seemed like they were getting more chances because they were getting more rebounds and that was kind of keeping them afloat, but that wasn't obviously going to be sustainable through the rest of the game. That I think they took 14 more shots from the field on the game. 
Um, and that's where we talked about afterwards. This is where PC really misses Bryce Hopkins. Um, because Georgetown had a lead early, um, a couple of minutes in. And it was all, I'd have to go back and look, but it felt like their first, at least three early buckets were off of offensive rebounds. And you would have figured if PC just got the stops and rebounded went the other way, that building was ready to pop. And I think they, that helped them settle in a little bit just because they had a couple of kicks of the can at it. And I think that's kind of deflating for a crowd. So they had those kind of momentary lulls. But I felt like the thing that I thought was really cool about this game, Bill, as far as being there is, Everyone who's been to the dunk or the amp knows there is that like fire fan angst that kicks in sometimes, you know, like uh, groaning over missed shots or things aren't going well. You can almost like feel negative vibes coming in more so than probably a lot of other bigger programs. Um, But I felt like at every moment during this game, it didn't feel like the crowd panicked. Even when Georgetown took that three point lead with under three minutes to go, I felt like every time the crowd was sensing they needed it. They were up in their feet. They were kind of bringing it at the right times. So that was one thing I noticed is that, Bill, unless I'm forgetting something, I don't feel like there was that moment of like prior angst that made it from the crowd down to the court. No, I do think there was, there were a couple pauses in silence of like, okay, like how are we going to finish out this half? But I mean, they were picked up clearly <laughs> by the Devin Carter alley-oops. I mean, oh. number five on the sports center, top 10, for the half, for the past half court, excuse me, alley oop from Corey Floyd to Devin. I mean, Corey's got to get lots of credit on that pass. You got to be super accurate. And Devin, <laughs> and Devin was so patient. Like that was what really stuck out to me. And I hope people see it the same way. Is so Corey's throwing this lob from the other side, you know, from three quarter court and. Devin was just so patient to kind of let it come to him. A lot of guys would jump out of the gym and kind of like, you know, let the ball go over them or, you know, lose their eye on the ball. Devin's patience in that moment was just very impressive. And then the reverse slam, I mean, from an athletic standpoint, I mean, he just said he was looking at the rim and just threw his arms up behind him and put it down. I mean, that is just impressive. That was ridiculous. The the Corey Love, I just thought that was – I don't think he's going for an alley-oop. I just think he – the ball got away from him. And when that ball was in the air, where we were both down that end of the court, I was like, there's no way in hell he's getting to this. Like, I was thinking, like, not as a dunk, just this ball's going into the second row. And I wrote about it. And then when he dunked that, that was a big, yeah, those two dunks were, I feel like they were kind of statements early on. Uh, but that, the Corey one, I, I couldn't believe he got, he dunked that. Like, I, to see where he was in that ball was first in the air. It was crazy. And then the reverse from from um, Jaden. Remember, he had done that early, like first or second game last year. I feel like against like Northeastern late in the game, he had like a reverse dunk just like that. But um, he called for that one. Like a good like three seconds before, he was kind of behind the defense. I don't know if Georgetown at that point was playing zone, but he kind of did two little fingers pointing up and Jaden caught his eye. And right away, I said to my buddy, I'm like, this one's going up, alley-oop. And like, he threw it right away, and it was a sick dunk. Um, and Devin, too, I thought, even that like their first bucket was a three from him to kind of settle him in, I felt like, as he's done all year, he's made the big plays at really timely um, points. And, and uh, under underlying storyline from the first half was really kind of the battle beginning between Josh Oduro and Supreme Cook. Like, I got to give credit to both of them right that they both played well but josh just sort of had the upper hand in the footwork again and 
the ability to kind of create in the post that you just knew that he was going to have a good night. And again, I said this on the last pod and even the pod before that, he played 28 minutes in this game. That's perfect for him. That's like, to, to me, he played the perfect amount of time. He took the perfect amount of field goals and he was really efficient because of it. Yeah, he was, um, I forget the numbers now. I wish I had it, but he was eight. Of, he was eight of 10 from the field. No, but his, his plus minus, it, it was something really high. Like when he was out and that's when Georgetown was starting to make their run. He got his third foul. I forget the order, but one call I hated was when they called the double foul on him and cook. That was, that was so weird. He gave both of them their fourth. And it's like, if you can blow the whistle there, just, you know, and maybe they had conversations, conversations between plays before, but to me, I hated that, that both guys picked up their fourth in that moment. But um, PC was kind of in a quandary against a team that hits the offensive glass because they went with the slim in the first half. He wasn't great. And they tried to take it and they were super small. So um, that was a big part in Georgetown. I thought making that run late is that Josh at one point, I know Kim didn't bring him back until they were under four minutes to go at least. Cause I remember looking up, it was tied, I think with like three forty something to go. And I was like, all right, well, I want to get him in here at this point. Like it's do or die. Uh, but apparently Kim played it perfectly, but that was a battle, you know, Supreme Cook, I did not think was going to be that good coming in from Fairfield. We saw him, you know, like, and sometimes you see these, like, mid-major big guys. There was a guy, you might be too young, Brandon Hunter, who was on Ohio. And he ended up being a, a second-round pick for the Celtics, but he was, like, this six, seven guy. And I was like, who the hell is this? Like, he was a complete beast. Like, when Supreme Cook was here, he, you know, I remember that more because his name is so unique. I don't, I don't remember his game, but. He's gotten a lot better. So that was a that was a really good matchup. And Josh, it went so overlooked, but eight for ten for what Bill? Twenty two points. Um, yeah. His second, you know, Seton Hall. He had a huge second half against Seton Hall too. We we haven't potted since then, but in the second half alone against Seton Hall, and that was a battle. Like that was a completely physical battle. He had like twelve points, four rebounds, and four blocks all in the second half. So uh, Josh is definitely back, and that's huge. I just know that there's a fan group who kind of questions Josh sometimes. And, and I, I just have to say, I think it's solely been since Bryce's went down, like him trying to do too much almost and playing too many minutes. And I, I was just ecstatic to see him shoot so well and be so efficient because he deserves to be one of those guys who's top 25, you know, in, in field goal percentage. And he really is one of the most efficient pro level type players in the big East. And, I mean, really, him and him and Devin were were carrying us. I just want to get to Ticket really quick. Ticket, his box score does not almost talk about who he was in that game. You know, he went four of ten from the field, one of six from three. But man, he just did a lot of little things and made some great cuts and was a good energy guy and great sort of glue guy in that game. Yeah, he had a big. He had a corner three that he missed and grabbed for an offensive rebound. It was a weird game. Like his stat line was good. But he had the, the, usually with ticket, if you have five turnovers and shoot one for six for three, it's not a great game. But he hit the glass, fourteen points. He was great. Um, you know, but I think we're probably shortchanging. I don't know if you want to talk about Devin now, because um, I don't want to wait too long. Just because that that performance was ridiculous. Well, it was just impressive. So two things. Really quick to end on Ojero, like when if any for anybody who was at the game, it showed up on the scoreboard that he had his fifth foul, if you remember. 
and it was really his fourth and everybody was like kind of like huh and he goes to the bench and then he's out for a little bit then he comes back down the stretch finishes out an amazing game with Devin it almost felt like his shot attempts weren't coming naturally towards the back end of the first half but man he really just the one of the most impressive things about Devin is he could just not take a shot or not be featured two or three plays in a row. And then he just ices you with the best drive past the defender or just that three down the stretch, you know, from, you know, between half court and the three point line, he doesn't need to be active in the offense to still contribute when we need him the most. That's it. Yeah. He goes in these waves. Ryan Gomez was like that. They said that was a knock on Gomez back in the day. Like, Oh, he'll go six or seven minutes without scoring, then score rip off ten in a row. Um, you know, Bill, I've been thinking after this game, I couldn't think of since Bryce Cotton had 36 against North Carolina. And again, it's not a there were some guys who had big tournament games. Ben Bentel had 38 in the Big East tournament game. But considering the stakes, and we all know what the stakes were, no need to go too far down that path. I, this might be the best big game that someone's had for PC since Cotton at 36. I don't know if you can think of another one. I mean, the ones that come to mind, the, the big three that come to mind are Bryce, Ben, and LaDante. I'm pretty sure LaDante had around a 30-point game, too, that was really big. I just can't remember the date. Um, but no, no, this is absolutely just – I mean – we talked about a leap for Devin in the off season, but this is a quantum leap forward. And he did give some credit to Cooley, you know, saying that he brought him to Friartown, which is true. He did. He brought him here and, you know, you know, it's business, right? It's a business. Like in the NBA, you play former coaches, same thing in college, but man, there is no way that Devin would have took the same leap under Cooley as he's doing right now under Kim. Yeah. This offense is perfect for him. And Bill, just taking a step back, um, as we were thinking out loud, I just determined, like, no, this is the biggest game since Cotton. Because in 10 years, we're not going to be like, wait, how many did Devin have against Georgetown? Like, you're going to remember specifically, like, you remember 36 for Cotton against North Carolina. You're going to remember the 29 for Carter here. Um, but, yeah, he's flourishing. Um, and it's really cool to see. Um, especially because even coming into the season, you know, it was – and nothing against Bryce, but it was basically like Hopkins was the guy who had a chance to become like a PC legend this year. Encouraged to become that guy. And I, I think he's having a season that is on par with anything that Chris Dunn even did. Um, you know, Chris controlled the game in different ways with his passing and rebounding and overall play. But, uh, I mean, Devin's scoring this year is – it's unbelievable. You know, he was a 29% three-point shooter last year. And now when he pulls up from 27 feet, basically to win the game against Georgetown, or if that shot, the thing is too, Bill, the confidence he's playing with right now, if he misses that shot, people are like, what the hell was that? You know, even though he's made it, but the fact that he just hoisted it and it's, he did the same thing. Remember against Butler, Kim was telling the shooter from almost the same spot. And then he did it last year if you'll remember against Villanova at home, he had two, like, I think he had two, but at least one like bomb of a three late in the game that basically sealed it. So even when he wasn't shooting the threes as well last year, um, he still made those big shots, but 
just his his overall impact in both sides of the floors it's amazing and um and uh, you get the sense that he's really embraced providence you know every fan kind of every every player kind of throws out you know tweets or whatever to get the fans riled up but he seems to genuinely genuinely enjoy it here and he was very professional in his comments about cooley uh but there wasn't really a hint of him missing what was you know i i thought what was what was interesting for him with his dad's nba background devin was basically saying yeah this is similar to the nba when you get traded and you see your old coton um but i i don't think he had some moments in that game where he showed a lot of emotion i thought him and Jaden pierre bill i don't know if you saw it, but i thought Jaden was as demonstrative as he's been all year um, which made me think that they'll never admit it, but at least for those two guys, this one was personal. Yeah, for Pierre, he kind of flew under the radar um, in in the game. So I gotta, I, you gotta give him credit. I mean, he, like I said, like we've talked about, he's really kind of proven himself as a potential third option when we really needed somebody to step step up. Um, no, I mean, Devin better be climbing up some draft boards right now because he 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 deserves it right and i know there's been a lot of talk you know about him being undersized for a quote-unquote combo guard and stuff like that i mean you just can't teach what he has you you really can't from the explosiveness to the shot making ability to the ability and like we're talking about with the gomes thing i think it's the perfect example of like in the nba you're not going to be trying to source your own shot you know five possessions in a row you kind of have to go off the ball a little bit and then create and that's exactly what Devin is proving is he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands to be an effective scorer and he's obviously incredible defensively with that steal and windmill to kind of finish it that was just an iconic moment that summarized his career here at Providence yeah and Bill an interesting contrast in this game Devin scores 29 points on 10 of 14 shooting you know it felt like Every basket he made was huge. Jaden Epps scored 26, but he was 9 for 27, and Epps was 0 for 9 at 3. He made some big shots late, but I think Epps had like 9 points early before Carter switched on to him. Then Carter made his life hell. And I think that's that's the difference. You know, like Epps, for me, I feared in this game for specifically what it came down to. Like he hit three late threes and that was like, Oh, this guy's capable of ripping off like three or four threes in short succession, which could completely flip the game. Um, but if I were a fan of Georgetown, he's just like a high volume shooting point guard. Whereas you look at a guy like Devin, you know, he's, he's rarely taking, you know, 25 shots in the game. He had 29 on, on 14 shots and just completely dominated the game. Um, and just cemented himself, you know, with, with each passing game, he just cemented himself as, I don't think it's an overstatement to say or prisoner of the moment. I think he's becoming like a PC legend. Like he's going to be a really beloved player for a long time, especially considering the circumstances of Cooley leaving and him sticking and Bryce going down, him still playing at this level. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable story. So when we talk about, obviously we win the game, we're able to take, we're able to take care of business at the end of the game, double fouls, you know, technical fouls, just, just a lot of chippiness down the line that ended up working out in our favor to kind of extend the lead and then finish it out with the, the score that really didn't reflect how close the game was and could have been. 
But finish the game. Kim English and Devin Carter embrace MVP chance. Uh, yeah. Just great vibes throughout the amp. Something I think a lot of us will remember from being in person. My three favorite games probably of all time. I know you mentioned some of yours. I mean, Big East regular season championship. When we beat number one Pitt when I was in high school, Marshawn's 52. You know, the, 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 this one's probably right after the Big East regular season championship, in my opinion. But um, so then we go to the press conference afterwards. And as I was telling Kevin, I was frankly uncomfortable for most of it. And really just because the anticipation to have Cooley in the room was, was a lot. I mean, I love a nice social setting, but man, that was, that was a lot, you know, the room was packed and there were all sorts of people in there that we're not accustomed to seeing in the media room after the game. And when he came in and he sat down and he just started off with his, with his opening statement, he clearly wanted to set the tone that he was going to, you know, say what he had to say. Um, and really the worst part of it for me is pretty simple. Right. And you're talking like, we're talking about somebody who, you know, I, I really much thought of him as, you know, one of the, the, the Kings of where I come from. Right. And what bothers me is simple. If he just came out and said like, Hey, you, you know, it was a wild ending to what was a great ride of, you know, over a decade of being, the head coach of PC, which was the dream for him. If he just kind of say, I was like, Hey, like, you know, it really, everything happened so fast. And, you know, I became the coach here at Georgetown overnight. And, you know, I, I wish that it didn't kind of go down the way it did of just leaving so quickly and, you know, not being able to almost say like a proper goodbye and kind of just move on to a big East rival. I feel like that's sort of the missing part in all this from human to human in this and, and, and really just, the tone in the press conference was, you know, giving credit to PC, which is great, but also in different parts of the interview or the, or the post game being like, Hey, I was a big part of creating this culture. Yeah. So Bill, you mentioned his opening statements. I think that was the first 10 minute opening statement in press conference history that went on for so long, you know, Someone had asked him if he had this date circled, and he said no. I'm like, there's no way. Everything seemed so preordained, from the walking down the court and giving that like humble smile to people, to the the comments at the beginning. Like he had thought these things through forever, and that almost essentially served as his goodbye. Now that you say it, and once you said that, I was like, I almost felt like he was doing this to try and get some sort of closure. Um, but there was there was so much it went on for so long without questions, you know, and it was almost weird for like a Jay Nepps to be up there. A couple observations. One, I thought was really odd. And I, I don't know what he's planning on doing with it. If they thought this is like a good thing for them, but Georgetown's AD was like taking pictures and video of how many people were in the media room. And I don't know if that was supposed to be like, this is how important our coaches or this is what it can look like for us or what, but I thought that was odd. Um, you know, there was, for the first like 20 seconds, there was this odd like familiarity. I'm like, oh yeah, of course, of course, cool is up there. And then all of a sudden you snap on and you're like, oh, this is just bizarre. Um, and I felt like he was trending, trending, trending towards trying to say the right things. And quite often in the Cooley press conference, you'll see like multiple, not multiple sides of him come out, but you know, the narratives look kind of like flip. And you he's an emotional guy. And I think he'll like lose sight of or lose track of where he wanted to go with 
a press conference initially. And I think that's what happened when he started, you know, praising donors and everyone else, but then kind of injecting himself and telling PC to appreciate Kim English, not, not hate on him anymore. And I mean, that's the kind of thing where it's like, well, fans are capable of doing both, first of all. And the fans have embraced Kim English. They don't, they didn't really need a reminder. Like, Hey, you've got a great coach there. Like we know, you know, they've got a top 25 recruit coming in next year. They're playing pretty well, despite losing a bunch of guys and what would have been the rotation from last year, but what we thought it was going to be last year. So it was, it was bizarre. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to add to that bill. It was a really odd, um, odd press conference. I thought it was very uncomfortable. That's the best way to put it. And, you know, we're not the type of guys to ask the really hard questions anyway, but there was really no opportunity to, it, it was really just going down the line of, 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 of Ed saying what he had to say for those in the Providence community that he felt were, he's still connected to, and, you know, he appreciated, which was fine. Like that, that's great. I'm, you know, we're still, we're very glad that Shanley and, uh, you know, um, Bob Driscoll and Father Sicard like worked with him and had an amazing relationship with them all those years. Absolutely, it's just it was a very quick exit. And I go back to the Nap interview where it's like Nap didn't really have too much communication with Georgetown on this, and it just kind of happened, right? And 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 that was strange for you know a conference that's had a lot of teams in it for a long time and a lot of people who've known each other for a long time. So it just it just was just was uncomfortable and you know it was great to have kim come in and actually say hey i want to talk about basketball <laughs> yeah that was hilarious i honestly thought that was the most relaxed and happy kim had seen had been had seemed i should say or had been um in any press conference this year and i think one thing that goes kim would never admit it it's just not his style and he doesn't tend to focus much on outside noise but there was a lot of pressure on him to win that game if they had lost that you're the first year coach you lose to Cooley with what everyone thinks is a much better team um that would have been a bad look and it, that i don't know about you but i thought that was the most happy he seemed he was he made the joke about like wow there's a lot of fans here for a one and seven and four and four big east matchup um yeah and that he was even, great and at times they they asked him about Oh, they were chanting, you know, we love English. And he essentially was like, yeah, it's not really about me. It's about the players. And um, I thought he handled it perfectly. I thought an interesting, a kind of telling thing for me, Bill, and, and I admit, after that game ended, I'm looking at Kula to see, you know, how long he's going to linger in the court for. You know, you know, his heart just got broken. He's walking back to the locker room. And he was staying in the court for a long time. So I'm looking over there. I'm kind of ignoring what's going on in the court. And all of a sudden, I hear the, this huge, huge, slow roar building from the dunk, or the amp. Call the dunk now twice. And that's when Devin Carter looked over. He's in the middle. He's pointing to the court. He's screaming, motioning the crowd. And all the attention went from Cooley like, to Carter. And then the whole team was kind of gathered at center court. And Billy, I, don't, I could be wrong, but I don't remember them ever huddling at center court like that after a game. Have, right? If I, I didn't want I to honestly, it, but I don't remember that. I think it was Alpha Diallo's senior day, actually, where they kissed the court and they left yeah, their yeah, shoes yeah. out. But that was different, right? So you're 100% like right. Huddle in the middle, like it was a 
almost like a rallying moment. It, it was really interesting, and I don't think they've done that all year. Yeah, and I want to be clear. Like, I hope someday we can all come back together with Ed. Obviously, that day was not Saturday, and it shouldn't have been. And it's not going to be this season, and it might not be next season or the or the season after that. But I do hope someday we're able to kind of come back onto that common ground. But I do think that Ed just has to simply acknowledge it was a weird exit. He has not even acknowledged that. Like, just just the step one of it, it just happened all so fast. And all of a sudden, he was at a Big East rival playing us twice, at least twice a year, if not, as he mentioned, four. So, and I do think deep down in his heart that he still roots for us. And I do think that he, you know, he he obviously thinks about the program and thinks about, you know, obviously thinks about his time here in a fond, in a fond way. It's just, you know, there has to be some sort of acknowledgement to, Hey, it was a little bit different because you went to a big East rival. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Bill, but I buy that he, he wrote for PC. He may after he retires, but I think there's a, because look at like, I think how cool he will be received way down the road is going to depend a, a lot about where these two programs go over the next five years. If PC stays ahead of Georgetown, it's kind of like, okay, like, didn't work out for Cooley, worked out for us, like, that sucks. Sure, come on back. Um, if Georgetown surpasses them and Cooley takes them beyond the Sweet 16 they did here, I don't think PC fans will ever get over it. Because um, it's, you know, it plays to that whole PC as a stepping stone, you went here and did bigger things. So, I think and it's out. You know, I, I really think that's what it's going to be. And man, when I as I was posting that video on X and Instagram saying we're a destination program. Now I felt it in my soul when I, when I wrote that, because looking at the students in the student se section, Nat mentioned it. Oklahoma wasn't getting that. They got a lot of NIL money and they got a lot of brand recognition. You know, you have other quote unquote basketball programs that are not getting what we have from an attendance standpoint and a passion standpoint, right? We are, we are such a unique job, and I think we have now turned the corner of now being a destination program, and it, it's a great feeling to have. It's so interesting to get Kim English's perspective too, because he's he played at Missouri. He he often compares the dunk to Fog Allen, where Kansas plays. Um, he's been at Tennessee, and I believe he's being genuine. Like Kim's pretty much, and I'm not saying this as a shot at Cooley at all. I mean, there's plenty of shots at Cooley going around, but. He's the total opposite of Cooley. And I think Cooley would admit this. Like, Cooley is such a salesman. Kim is not. So when Kim is saying, like, this environment's as good as I've ever seen, I think he, like, I think it's, with Kim, I take whatever he says at face value. And I really think he believes it. Um, so, I and I think he's kind of blown away. You know, he even said last spring when he interviewed here, he didn't know this was this good a job. But I think until you experience the kind of things like we had on Saturday, or even the crowds they had against, like, columbia in the opener um that doesn't happen many places and um you know i again clue deserves credit for helping to rebuild it but there was still a strong fan base that was there yeah and, and obviously fans aren't going to show up when the team's terrible you know like it's just the way it goes but this fan base existed for a long long time um but as far as i've been watching this is by far the best it's been the last three years um just the environment has been unbelievable. And that, that was such a memorable game. And, and Bill, the game was awesome. You know, I think like everyone wanted to come and see a blowout, but for it to end in that way, you know, 
down with two minutes to go with a Carter Duncan at the end. I mean, just it was an experience. I guess that's the way I'll put it. That was that was more of an experience than a game and something that you'll if you were there, I really think remember forever. It was, it was an all-time great Friar game. There's absolutely no debate there. And to close out, I just want to give a shout-out to everybody who was involved with it, those who you know put the T-shirts out, the security, um, the fans, the students, you know the bars and restaurants that probably took a lot of overflow, oh, yeah. a lot of happy Friars. You know, e- e- even in the field of 68 crew who, you know, recorded at 11, 11 at Union Station Brewery, like, that's cool. Like, you know, obviously you could say what you want, want about Jeff Goodman or, you know, their crew, but it was cool to, like, have, like, a college basketball mainstream show, you know, taped here in Providence. And it just kind of shows, again, our trajectory. Like, I think there's so many outlets now that are covering us in that light of, like, oh, you don't want to play at Providence or – Providence has one of the best fan bases and atmospheres and it's real like people understand it it's not just a fabricated thing that you know sometimes you see sports stories are just like oh but is that really true it's like no people know that if you come here it's going to be quite the place to play yeah it's really I mean PC is just hot right now and I, I always go back in my head I remember talking to Andre LaFleur who was an assistant at PC after they won the 2014 championship and I think I remember him saying, like, we should be so hot right now. Like, it was a big deal when they won that Big East tournament, but you really can't even compare where they were then to where it is now. Like, it's – I just think, like – and maybe because that was when people weren't sure what the Big East was going to be, the new iteration. Um, But it's just – it's a hot brand. Like, you hear about PC nationally in a way you never did uh, in the, what, 10, 15 years – maybe go back since like Gomes was here. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's just a really cool time to be a PC fan. It really is. So let's transition to UConn, University of Connecticut, just a short 45 minute drive away in stores, or maybe a little over, probably around an hour and a half to Hartford. Um, I mean, they're on a tear. Like they are scary good. And frankly, I think this is good timing <laughs> that we're playing them in the sense yes. of coming off the Georgetown win because, man, and also their win over Xavier, 99 to 56. I don't think they could blow out somebody, you know, hopefully that bad again because <laughs> that was really, really bad. Um, but, man, they are just like we were talking about before we started potting. Oh, my God. You just have a bunch of guys in that 10 to 14, 15 points a game range who just all get really, really good looks and make them. And then they're just ruthless because Dan Hurley is that they've taken on the the persona of their coach. uh, It's really just impressive how far Hurley has taken them from a team that was, you know, taking on the Hurley mindset early, but they couldn't shoot. And now he just has this personnel of, Stretch fours like Alex Caravan, really tall and athletic five like Klingon. Tristan Newton, it just he he's like a professional in college. Like he just at the point guard position, it's really tough to put anybody up against him because he's just so poised, right? And then you have you know the Spencers and the Johnsons. Like you just you got a lot of weapons on that team. Yeah, they have. I mean, they've sized across the board. You know, Newton six five. Castle is probably six five six six 
Um, obviously, the Klingons seven two, and they bring in Samson Johnson off the bench. Caravan's probably six eight. Like the length is crazy, um, and they've got shooting. You know, I, I think the the big thing for them um, was they they lost Jordan Hawkins. You know, and if, if they hadn't gotten Cam Spencer to transfer in from um, Rutgers, I think that would have been a really big hole they would have had. But you know, Spencer has been really, really good. Uh, I, he's one of those guys who I feel like every time he's open, it goes in. Like I'm shocked when he misses an open shot. Um, so he was a huge add. Um, and obviously, Caravan has been really—he's one of the more underrated players in the league. Um, and it was interesting. It's interesting to watch him now. We watched him a lot because uh, obviously PC was recruiting him. He was at New Hampton and then IMG. Um, he was a really good post player in, in college. I know, I'm sorry, in high school. Um, like a like a bag, like a lot of moves in the in the post, uh, and now he's just and he was a, he could shoot too, but now he's a complete dead eye. Like I'm looking at the stats now, he's at almost 47 percent from three in the Big East. I know, and 52 percent from the field too. And just their depth, like no one's deep anymore. Hassan Diar is like a really tough backup point guard who just makes clutch plays. We mentioned Samson Johnson, like who has a guy with that kind of athleticism coming off the bench. Uh, solo ball was a Brewster guy who's a freshman who um, just had a really big game against Xavier. I think he had four threes off the bench. So, um, you know, in an era where there's not a lot of depth, uh, it's impressive that, you know, they didn't go hard off the portal. I think it was just, just Cam Spencer they got, and they brought in their four good freshmen. Um, two have lost to Nogo, two have lost Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson. To lose you know, the core of a national championship team and get one guy out of the portal, you know, you're ranked number one in the country. Is, it's impressive. I think there's really no denying Dan Hurley's the job he's done there. Um, as obnoxious as he can be on the sideline. Um, but, yeah, they're just going to be a tough matchup for PC, especially coming off of the emotional high of Saturday. Um, and I think they'll get a little bit more leeway from PC fans considering that they've, PC's come off of um, – you know, three straight wins. But I think for me, essentially, this is the kind of game where you hope that PC keeps it close with, you know, five minutes to go in the second half and can make a late push. Uh, but yeah, UConn, they haven't lost. They lost their first Big East game against Seton Hall. Um, and then they've won eight in a row since. Um, and pretty dominating. They, they, Villanova gave them a game at Villanova, but like you said, they just slaughtered Xavier. Um, they really beat up on Creighton. Um, you know, they've just been handling teams. So really stiff challenge. It's an 8.30 start, so their their students will be feeling pretty good. But I kind of go into this one, Bill, kind of thinking it's a no-lose. I mean, you don't want to go in there and get drilled. But um, coming from what PC's coming off of, I don't know. I, I, I It's almost like a decent measuring stick, right? You just, you just hope if they play them tough, you walk out of there feeling like, okay, we hung with number one. We're, we're 500 in the Big East. Now we get just close strong in the last, what, 10 games? Well, I mean, the clear X factors in this game are Josh Oduro. How does he play against the larger Donovan Klingon? I obviously didn't go that well when we played Cockrunner, but yeah. let's give, you know, Oduro, I feel like he's getting his footing again. Let's see how he plays against Donovan Klingon. Jerry Gaines, if he, he's the ultimate. If he makes five threes, we're in any game, so you never know. And yeah. Corey Floyd Jr. playing against his former team. What does he have to give? as they play, you know, at UConn, right? Maybe he can kind of rise up to the occasion, but you're 100% right. 
we kind of see where we're at with this team against the number one team in the country. I mean, did, did Dan Hurley just play this massively? Or, you know, like, like he couldn't have played this more flawlessly in terms of his career, right? He's at Wagner and then URI and then ends up UConn Big East before they have the true Big East success in their return. I mean, just absolutely just well played, Dan Hurley. <laughs> yeah, not bad at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really tough matchup. You know, for a PC team that has to rely so heavily on Oduro and Carter, um, Carter is going to have his handful with probably Tristan Newton defensively. Uh, if not him, then Spencer. So that that's a full day's work. And then for Oduro, and, and this has been my concern all year, just these these massive big bodies, you know, clinging and, and called Brenner for a, you know, relatively below the rim big guy is probably six eight six nine and jars. It's just a tough matchup. Um, but who knows? We can learn a lot about Josh in this one. Um, you gotta worry about the rebounding. You know, that's the biggest concern for me with PC right now is I think teams are beating up like Seton Hall beat him up a little bit in the first half. George I did two in the offensive glass. They turned that around the second half of both games, but uh physically this is a tough matchup. Um but yeah I'm not sure about what else there's to say with this. It's a really tough matchup. They're a really good team. Um they don't really have any glaring weaknesses. Um, so I guess we'll just see how it plays out. We will indeed see how it plays out. And this is exactly why I wanted to talk about Villanova on Sunday. Because the Villanova game is totally flying under the radar. We just had Georgetown. We're going to play UConn at UConn on a Wednesday night at 8.30. Um, when it comes to the Villanova game on Sunday, that's a really important game because Villanova is struggling and we can't give them any sort of confidence to come back in and play and, and, and make it a game. Right. I mean, I just want to address a few things on Villanova. Number one, Lance Ware, my, myself included the fans, we were all kind of just like, Oh man, we got to get this Lance Ware kid from Kentucky. He'll be an amazing backup big. And then we heard that we might have gotten that bid in the NIL market on him. And and frankly, he hasn't really done much for Villanova. And and that's been that's been something I've taken notice on. The other thing that I've taken notice on is they really have a lot of pieces, like Dixon and more. And really, I mean, this team shouldn't be sliding like they are. They lost St. John's twice. They lost to Butler in overtime. I mean, to their credit, I mean, they're 11 and nine, right? Like that's just an ugly record. That's not going to get you in any sort of tournament. Right. But I mean, their recent losses like to Marquette and UConn are just, it is what it is. Right. Um, and they beat Creighton and they lost in overtime to Kansas state, just like we did. So in a sense, they're not too quote unquote far removed from where we should be, but we feel like we're eons better than them. And, and that's how we should feel because at 11 and nine and really just, you know, they seem disjointed and not able to kind of play as a team. I think they're still finding themselves going into February. Yeah. And this, this is kind of the danger of the transfer portal. I mean, in fairness, you know, they, they lost to UConn by a point, you know, there's no shame in that. And their schedule recently has been harder, but they have a lot. There's a fine line when you're playing the portal, right? Like, so they already have, Eric Dixon and Justin Moore coming back is established. The, Moore's not playing like it this year, but they're both guys who are, when they're at their best, they're all Big East level players. TJ Bamba comes in. He's a really good scorer. Tyler Burton, we know from Richmond. 
Um, the kid Armstrong is a sophomore point guard. And to me, this is this is the biggest question mark I had in Nova coming in is like they didn't have experience at point guard. Armstrong's a sophomore. Um, he's been good and not great. Um, then you've got Longino who's been there forever. Akeem Hart coming in from Maryland. This kid Brandon Housen is a really good shooter. Uh, Lance Ware's here. They had uh, Bill, if you remember the name, Anana and Joku. He was uh, Jerry Davis's high school teammate and considered like a higher rated recruit as a year younger. And they kind of talked about him being a breakout guy. So they have like 10, 11 guys who can all play, but can they all play together? You know, and, and so far they haven't been. And this is the real challenge for a lot of these coaches now is setting up like a pecking order. And when you bring in all these guys, if you bring in transfers from Maryland and this kid Burton was a, obviously Burton was really good. TJ Bomb is a great scorer. They're all expecting to play a significant role. Um, and Kyle Neptune's still a really young and inexperienced coach. Um, so he's just in a tough spot. Um, and it's shocking to be honest. You, you know, Jay Wright's not there anymore, but, um, I, I wasn't sure if they'd be as good as a lot of people thought they were going to be coming in just because they had so many pieces to meld together. Um, but I love Eric Dixon. Um, and I thought there was enough where they'd be like a top four team, in the big East, but um, right now it's not looking good. In Tyler Burton, Oxbridge mass native, by the way. Yeah. Was averaging 19 at Richmond. And now he's at eight and a half and shooting worse from the field at that. Right. It's just like, where does coaching come into play? I honestly am curious to see, I mean, it's a six o'clock Sunday game. That's a strange time to play a college basketball game. And you don't know what nobody will get. I mean, they beat Carolina, you know, they, they beat Creighton. They played UConn down to the wire. Um, But then they lost to Drexel. They lost to St. Joe. They lost to Penn. Um, So you really don't know which number you're going to get. Um, but Bill, I think these are really important games. If you look at the Big East standings, it's really crowded now. You know, Xavier's four and five, Nova's four and five, Butler's five and five, St. John's is five and four, PC's five and four, Seton Hall is skidding now without Kadari. They're six and four. Uh, I think if you have any true tournament hopes, you have to separate yourselves a little bit from from these teams that are kind of clumped together right now. And, this is what people thought the Big East was going to be this year. You know, they, they thought that the numbers like four through seven or eight were going to be really tight. And um, it really is. Right? I mean, right now, like three through nine are all relatively close, or even two through nine. I, I still am not a huge believer in Creighton. I know there's seven and three, but I, I'm just not there yet with them. I don't know. The more – they just never – I don't know. I think there's something lacking with that team. Like, I could be wrong, but whenever I watch them, I'm not overly impressed. Seems like everybody has some sort of Achilles heel after UConn. UConn just yeah. wagon number one team in the country. Marquette's been lost at different points of the year. I was talking to my friend who went there. I mean, they were shooting 21, 22% for like a three to four game stretch in Big East play. That's why they started losing. And it, if Marquette's not making threes, they're not they're not going to win games, right? And obviously, you know, beating Kansas and taking Purdue to the ropes is going to help them, and they'll make the tournament no matter what, I would assume. But, you know, they don't seem like 
the best version of themselves in the different parts of the season. And really, like, Creighton, Arthur Kuluma would be pretty nice right now. And and it just seems like they're kind of like a piece away from being really elite. Uh, when Baylor, Baylor Shireman taking a lot of shots and, you know, it doesn't seem like that could lead to Final Four as tournament success, you know, with, with the big three of Cockbrenner, Shireman, and Trey Alexander for some reason, even though they should. Um, and then obviously as you get towards the middle, I mean, it's anybody's game, but to beat for the Friars to be five and four, you would think that if they had Bryce, that we'd be more in that seven and three, potentially even eight and two, you never know. Um, yeah, but we're, a bummer. Anyways, we're, st- ahead, we're still right there. Like we're still, we're hanging around right there. Um, so, you know, we, we were, you know, a, a one you know, a, a one possession loss to St. John's at the garden and, you know, Bryce getting hurt in the Seton Hall game away from being right there. So, yeah, I mean, tr- truly, I think Friar fans should be optimistic about the remainder of the schedule, but it is going to be tough as, as we go through this next, um, you know, string of Big East games. It was kind of hard to look past the Georgetown game, but now we have to, and there's a lot of games in which it's going to come down to some final possessions if I had to guess. Yeah, this the next five, Bill, at UConn, at Villanova, Home versus Creighton at Butler, home versus St. John. So that that's a tough stretch. Um, yeah, it is. Again, just to me, it's like hover around 500. Like no two or three game losing streaks from here on out. You've got you got a pretty good shot. Um, I still feel like PC is figuring it out. You know, I, I don't think they're – I still think they're probably a week or two away from really – because I think that the tough thing now is – they're just not getting consistency beyond Pierre Carter and Arturo. I guess Gaines too, but they need they just need some sort of consistency in it. And maybe it's just a mix and match for Kim with Baron, Floyd, Garway the rest of the year. But um it would be great if one of those guys could step up and be a little bit more consistent. Uh, and not just great, I think it's necessary if they're gonna make the tournament. Um but again, we'll see how it plays out. It's a long season, it's still only late January. So a lot to be played out here, but a lot of intrigue ahead too. To close, I think the key to these games, especially as we go through this middle of the Big East calendar, will really be substitutions at the right times and the ability to get, again, get Josh rest when need be, being able to insert Castro into the games in which, you know, he can grab his dunks and get out and transition, but again, get Josh back in when need be get consistency from ticket gains and, and, and Corey and Garway uh, putting them in at the right spots with the right lineups will be really key. And, you know, just being able to kind of utilize Jaden as that third option. I think if we're able to assert Jaden as that third option and have consistent shooting from ticket, then we should feel confident in some of those 50, 50 games against St. John's and Butler and Villanova, but really going to take a lot of coaching. And I think Kim's up for the challenge. Yeah, and I think, honestly, Bill, we don't need fat stat lines from Corey Floyd Jr. or Rich Barron. It'd be great if they could hit, like, three threes in a game. But even look at the Georgetown game, you know, one thing I wrote, wrote about was the little plays Floyd and Barron made. You know, Corey Floyd ties up Supreme Cook to get the jump ball to give PC the ball back to get the ball in Carter's hands down one. Um, I thought Barron hit a huge three. Um, I think Georgetown had cut it to about four and PC's offense was sputtering a little bit, a little bit against the zone. And Bill, you remember the shot Baron hit like a pretty deep late in the shot clock three that gave him a lot of breathing room. And those, and, and Corey had a big three in the second half. So 
those guys don't need to tear it up, but make two, three plays a game that impact winning. And um, that would go a long way. I just think it'd be nice if they could get both those guys combined to make, you know, six or seven really solid plays a game that, that do impact winning. But again, we'll see how it plays out. I'm, I think we've seen some really good signs from Corey Floyd. Um, again, it feels like baby steps, but I think he's getting there. He made, he hit the deck probably three times against Georgetown. He had that jump ball he tied up, he hit three. So, um, and obviously if you can do, I think it's Duke kind of be a huge confidence booster for him too. Well said, Kev. See everybody Wednesday night for a tip against UConn at UConn. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. And as always, go Friars. We'd like to thank everybody for listening to episode 41 of the Friar Podcast. And as always, a special thank you to my co-host, Kevin Farahar. We'll be back in the coming weeks. And as always, go Friars.